Hey everybody, it is me, Gina Marie, co-founder of Mixed in the Six, and you are tuning in to the Mixed in the Six podcast, sharing stories and building community with my fellow mixed people. And we have uh, my pal, Sarah Kazem, who is a registered social worker and therapist, also a good friend from the mixed community. And I'm just happy to have you here. <laughs> I'm really, really excited to be here. This is very exciting for me. So oh. thank you for thinking of me. Of course. And May is Mental Health Awareness Month. I think initially yep. I was like, it's just a week. We have to have Sarah on like right away. But it's actually the entire month, which is perfect because that's what it deserves. And both of us are mental health clinicians. So you're a social worker working in private practice, correct? Yep, yep. that is correct. I'm an occupational therapist in mental health. So we're, the theme of today is just talking about mental health and also about being mixed. So we'll see where it goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Sarah, why don't we start off, like tell me a little bit about your mix, where you grew up. What was that like for you? Yeah, so my dad is from Egypt. Mm -hmm. uh, he immigrated to Canada when he was maybe like 23. Mm -hmm. um, and my mom is um, many, 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 many generations uh, American, um, but like settler, colonial, uh, deep history of that for sure. Um, and, and I would classify her as, as white. Um, and my dad is Muslim and my mom is Christian. So uh, we, yeah, we, we had kind of an interesting, we celebrated every holiday. Um, and so we definitely had like elements pulled from either side in a really rich way because my dad, you know, um, fully grew up in Egypt, so. Wow. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's an interesting thing because I know there's differences between there's, an, there's that experience of having two parents from two different cultures, but yeah. in, your, in your life, you have two parents from two different cultures, but also two different religions. How was that navigating those pieces or what was it like for them? It was, it was hard, actually, quite frankly, it was really, really tough for me. Um, I think I think that, you know, there's still like pretty traditional gender roles in my house. So um, the Muslim part required a little bit more hands-on work, but like at the same time, you know, raising the kids was mostly left up to my mom. Mm -hmm. So um, it was hard because there were certainly expectations to be fully Muslim, but it, it was such a fragmented teaching um, that um it, it it could be really hard to navigate and you know we had to go to arabic school every saturday uh partly to like learn arabic and partly um to learn about islam and so that was just kind of you know it was every saturday morning for like oh god like a decade so it was just you know wanting to sleep over at friends houses or do things on saturdays with people it was like always a no because uh we were we were meant to be learning um about islam so 
it was alienating in its own way and tough in its own way and also really cool. Mm -hmm. um, just because, you know, I, I, I have memories of kind of, I grew up in Ottawa, so um, there's a big Arab community there. There's like, we belong to the Egyptian Association. And so I just have these beautiful memories of like, um, at the end of Ramadan, just going and praying in giant, like a giant stadium with all the other Muslims in, in uh, Ottawa. And um, it was really powerful. It was really cool. Um, and it was a real connection to um, a part of me that I, I didn't have a ton of access to all the time. So uh, like everything mixed, it's just like complex, lots of difficult stuff and also lots of really beautiful stuff that um, just really feel super special. Yeah, too. absolutely. Is the, the school and some of the more community-based stuff where you're referring to as the hands-on part of being Muslim growing up? Yeah, probably. That would be the hands-on uh, place. Um, yeah, that's kind of where, where we, where we, where we learned it. Um, and cause also it, it was complex too, because in uh, some progressive mosques are changing, but in traditional mosques, you separate men from women. And so my, we never as girls had a, a, a woman to kind of accompany us and, and show us the ropes. Cause my dad would have been on the other side of the, the stadium. So um yeah he would always find like a well-meaning woman who would like take us to the women's side and show us what to do um so but you know that was once a year so yeah mostly it happened at school i would say yeah you're making reference to like there's like really beautiful parts and then there's a really challenging parts of kind of growing up mix what were some of the really beautiful beautiful things i it sounds like the being in the prayer stadium is so powerful and I want to talk more about community, but like what are some other things that you experienced growing up that were notable? You know, I, to be totally honest with you, I think these are things I'm grateful for in hindsight. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I loved it growing up. Um, but I think it, there's something really, and I've experienced this with other mixed folks. There's sort of like a real humility and a real groundedness and a real down-to-earthness in a lot of mixed folks because in my in my opinion um from my own personal experience I, I i can't speak to this formally but it's like it's hard to kind of get too big for your britches if you feel out of place a lot you know and you just kind of um for me that level of chronic um Un unbelonging, feeling like I never belonged anywhere was the catalyst for um, so much of my work. I just, I just made it my life's work to make sure other people felt like they belonged because I never wanted anyone to feel like uh, I did. And so I like, I wanted to be the place that they felt like they belonged. And I, I, I really made that my life's work um, in response to how much I never felt like I belonged. Um, and yeah, just the, the humility too of like, you know, my dad doesn't follow the social norms of Canadian culture. Like it's just, you know, this constant like quirkiness and like eccentric 
kind of uh, persona that he had that's like, again, it's just, it's just hard to get too big for your britches in a world that is like, there's comedy and sort of embarrassment. <laughs> if one of your parents doesn't know the social norms of the country that you're in. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess I would say the beautiful parts for me were something I could more look back on. Um, I'm not sure I felt them like at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, that real, real drive to make people feel like they belong. I mean, it's, it's such a core of who I am and it came from a lot of the hurt, I think that I, that I, that I was feeling. Yeah, I, I resonate with that so much because I, I know I've shared this before and, and probably with you in some of our conversations growing up from a very young age for me I was I, like I, my one of my first memories from going to the new school that I went to and to two schools in kindergarten was being called um like from across the playground by older kids they called me chink and that was a derogatory term obviously and I remember like as I got older I was like that's such a terrible thing to say because it's derogatory towards Chinese people which is so unfair. And I started to realize this at a young age, but I had, I didn't really feel like I had any power. And then um, also it was like that I, you know, I was being um, kind of put into this box of like a, another Asian that, and then not actually being recognized for who I am, which I'm right. you know, Canadian. So I get that there's, there's that, those challenges that I, I grew up with feeling isolated and feeling othered, but then it also made me more, I feel like I was getting that in that sense, like kind of more humble or were you saying not too big for your britches or also just wanting to make sure that in the things that I do in life, I'm, I'm not othering people and I'm not doing that. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's so cool to see. I mean, I think in general, we can all see where, the pain birthed something amazing, but um, yeah, it has its own special flair uh, in the mixed world, I think. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm curious, like in some of your experiences that were challenging, you've spoken to them already, and I'm like going to share some of my own as well. Yeah, please. Don't worry, we're, we're both in this together. Um, how would you say it affected like your mental health as a as a child or as adolescent and later as a, an adult? Yeah, I, I would say primarily it, it made me really um, anxious um, in terms of like, I, it, again, I felt like I never truly like belonged anywhere and I always felt like someone was gonna come and tell me I was out of place. And uh, so it was constantly like, am I enough to be this thing in this space in lots of contexts? And like, it's funny because actually when our first day of Arabic school was a whole thing because we did it, we were the only kids that didn't already speak Arabic because my, da my dad just, again, was pretty hands off. And so he <laughs> wanted us to go to Arabic school to learn Arabic all the other kids were like it's like here you don't necessarily go to school to learn English like you already know it by the time you get there and you just learn to like read and write so the purpose of the school was to teach us how to read and write and so my dad kind of plops us down and it's like good luck with my kids <laughs> <laughs> um 
And so that was hard. Like we caused a flurry right away. The teacher was appalled that we didn't already speak Arabic. All the other students knew that we didn't either. They had to like figure out accommodations, find other worksheets for us. Like it was really embarrassing. Um, so um, yeah, so I mean, I, I guess I just think that like that experience of like immediately, we weren't like the others in a very concrete way. Um, just sort of, yeah, I just kind of felt anxious all the time that someone was going to find out I wasn't in the right place. Even like as a therapist, even sitting in meetings, I like, it's like, oh God, like people, like I, I shouldn't be here. Like th that was the sort of the narrative and the cognition was like, I shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. um, kind of chronically. Um, so yeah, just an anxiety that, that I shouldn't be in the space that I'm in and that someone's going to find it out and ask me to leave and it's going to be like really embarrassing or something like that. Like these things that we kind of make up that, you know, when we intellectually check it out, we're like, no. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but so, so yeah, it was like kind of a chronic anxiety of like, I shouldn't be here. Mm, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. That's so, it's so powerful. And what you said, it's like, it's, I forgot what you said. It was like, not that it's real or you made it up, but it, at the time, like as a child, it, it is real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Or oh, sorry, yeah. when you intellectually check it out, like as an adult, we can go back and see like, where did we get our like cognitive distortions? I'm gonna throw out some CBT terms, right? <laughs> it's like our imprinting from when we're kids, from these like, you know, these experiences that we have in our life, negative experiences, some are on this continuum of trauma, right? But they affect us. And at the time, they're so real. And, and then we become unconscious drivers for our behavior. Like I completely get you, Sarah. I had like, my thing was, oh, my pen, hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to the audio recording, I have my little stylus waving it around. Um, Cause I'm really enthusiastic about this topic. Um, I, I, mine was that I'm not good enough. Right. Like I, my thing was, and you know, I'm sure this is a lot from my earlier memories of going to the school in a really, Sort of again, lovely people in the town that I grew up with, but everybody was white. There's only this yeah. like a handful of, of uh, children of color uh, in our school, and I was just always made fun of, and I felt I was much less pretty than everybody else, and that there was something like kind of wrong with me. Although I didn't feel actually any different than anyone else because I grew up here, and I spoke the language, but I, I, my earlier, earlier memories like just kind of locked this idea into my mind that I wasn't good enough and it followed me into the rest of my life, working on it now. <laughs> and I, and I, I so connect with you, even now as an adult, sometimes in, in team meetings where like, you know, you want to sound really smart. Like there is, sometimes I have to manage that like feeling of like that lack of safety in my body where I'm like, okay, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Speak up. Like, you know, what you say has value and like you've proven yourself over and over again that, that you are enough, but it's kind of hard to, to get through that and, and dissolve it without support and without space. Um, and then of course, like just maturity to be able to, to put those into words and those feelings and um, yeah, like just, dissolve the imprinting from the past and we all have it mixed people not mixed people people of color like it. it's all there yeah 
Yours is interesting though, too, because like the word good, it's like the implication that good is white. Mm. Then there's like also like the social conditioning. Like it's interesting. Like mine was, I shouldn't be here. And yours is like, I'm not good enough, but that implies that good is white. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a, you go there. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, but that's such Sorry. an important thing. You know, no, don't apologize. It's it's such an important point because it, it's come up before and it came up in uh, other conversations. Another, uh, my, uh, an episode with Cheyenne Sapphire that we just uh, posted um, that like the dominant culture in which we grew up in predominantly was white. Like, I mean, with all the, you know, all my teachers were white, all my um like soccer coaches and and everybody with like the exception of maybe like one or two people growing up, like every, um, like everything that we saw, everything that was like standards of beauty were all sort of the same kind of a, a sort of a quintessential uh, like white, blue eyed, right? And again, there's nothing absolutely wrong with that. It's just that when you are a mixed person of color, person of color growing up in that society, it's like the message that's being sent is that, we're just we're just not there we're not we're not at that level uh and it's changed now which is a little bit of like a i'm gonna just swear but a little bit of a mind fuck for me (laughs) and uh it's like growing up i I remember the one time on much music i saw uh, a filipino like girls music group they they were not very popular like just in the sense they were very talented they just didn't get a lot of play right I thought that was the coolest thing ever, but nobody knew their name. Nobody like played them on the radio, um, you know, and, and then now they have marketing campaigns that are like focused specifically with like mixed models and like racial, racial can be like multi-ethnic families. And it's awesome. But then it also gets backlash still, which is like, we, in one way we've, jumped forward and, and we have representation in the media right but then there's also so many crit- critics and still you know racist voices trickling in and maybe not trickling in but like just coming in and parade right. flooding yeah. in. <laughs> you know that um you know that you know with something to say right with with uh with things to say about that like that commercial with um it was like a Cheerios commercial with like a black parent and a white parent with a mixed child. And yeah, I, I can't remember what the comments were, but there were like comments being like, that doesn't represent <laughs> America or other things like that. But yeah, that's, we could, we could, we could spend a whole hour on that, but yeah, all day. Yeah. How did that, like maybe seeing, did that affect you at all? Like growing up? in either, because I know you grew up, you spent some time in America and some time in Canada. Like, did you, hmm, that's my question. Have you, did you ever notice like a difference between um, like, like living in America as a mixed race person, living in Canada, or like also the messages about race? Yeah, well, it's really interesting because I mean, I, I lived in, well, I lived in Delaware when I was young, which is like, I always think of like Wayne's world, like, Hey, we're in Delaware. Um, but it was just, it was in fact boring, but great for a little kid. Cause it was safe. Um, and I don't think I like, I don't think I remember too, too much from that time other than like, you know, sometimes people being su- like surprised that my mom was my mom. Um, 
<clears throat> when I was older, I lived in New Mexico for two years um, from 2014, or no, 2013, excuse me, to 2015. And again, it's, it's interesting there in terms of like, just being like that sort of ethnic or racially am ambiguous is like, I could pass for Latina every day. And so a lot of the population there was um, Latina. So I don't, I didn't feel out of place in the least. I didn't feel like I drew any kind of attention as being mixed um, at all. Um, but certainly, um, yeah, certainly, uh, probably what I would say about that in terms of, you know, racism without, you know, without getting too far down the rabbit hole is that like, you know, it just, it felt like it, it was still a place where like jokes were thrown out very casually and like um, attitude that like, oh, if I say it with no one around, it's not harmful and stuff like that. Like, I, I think I would say, because um, it was there. Like, you know, like it's hard. Sometimes you can just feel it. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't have a great answer around that. It's just like, you just like feel it. Like, I guess I'm thinking of like anti-black um, racism in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just noticed um, that, I don't know, just like jokes and stuff that, people here wouldn't really, or even that, you get what I'm saying. I mean, I, just, I saw it more. Again, like there's, there is still quite a lot of racism in Canada as well. Um, but surely uh, I was probably subject to way more harmful, like offhand comments down there than I, than I would be here. Yeah. I, I've traveled to the States, not too much, but I have, ex I've had I've experienced that where people are just much more free, at least in my experience from what I've seen, I'm free with saying, um, you know, derogatory things about different races. And it's so unfortunate. And I, but I, just about the like, hearing it more often and kind of wondering like, you know, what to say or how to, whether, whether people can actually tell if you're mixed up. I have a, an experience growing up is when I was uh, around like some of my friends families like my my white friends sometimes they're like their parents or like older friends like friends of their parents would be like talking about uh different racialized communities in like a derogatory fashion and I would be like do they even notice that I'm here <laughs> do yeah. I like do I code to them as an Asian person or a person of color because they're just speaking all this BS and I'm hearing it and it's like getting and that you know that that piece around like not feeling good enough so just getting thrown right in my my brain over and over again um so I don't I, I kind of connect with what you're saying as well but I've also ex I've experienced it here in Canada and yeah yeah it's like I I feel like you know um yeah, I haven't, I, I haven't experienced as much. And also, you know, I think it, I think I'm not super discriminated against because people can't tell what to discriminate against. Like, you know, so if I wore a hijab, like, yeah, like we'd probably be having a very different conversation. Yeah. Um, but I think that's why, and, and part of what you're saying though, is around these like sort of, um, 
DL like, you know, subtle comments if they don't know. Um, but also, I guess I'm just thinking of like, um, for me, it's, it's, it, if, if people wanted to discriminate against me, I don't think they'd know how, mm -hmm. um, in, in, you know what I mean? And that's in that sense about, um, yeah, just not being able to identify it. So, um, but it's still, it's, uh, fuck racism. Honestly. I yeah, I know. No, seriously. Fuck racism. <laughs> I know. It's like, what else can we say? Really? Well, I, I, I think that you bring up an important piece around that I'm sure a lot of other mixed people or you know a certain um, some subset of mixed people will experience is that they don't look like they are from they don't present as someone from a racialized community or from as a person of color. Like that's interesting because when you, I guess, blend in or you're sort of uh, what's the word? You're kind of like a chameleon people will, will, can respond to you differently depending on what they think um, your ethnicity is. So that's, been, I'll just share yeah. that. Like I, I actually thought it was really interesting when one of my clients at work uh, was like, oh, you're, you're mixed Asian, you're Filipino? I thought you were white. And I was like, that's so interesting because I just, I, I, I never got that growing up. I just always, that was my thing was that I was always the most Asian person than anyone ever met. I'm totally repeating this. I've said this before in a previous episode, but it's just always interesting as like, as I've gotten older, it's almost like I started off as a, like a very uh, Filipino looking baby and child and then turned into like, I'm totally ripping a joke from uh, one of the comics. <laughs> one of our shows is like I've actually I now I'm like a you know a Latina slash white adult and so sometimes like finding that identity and kind of figuring out like you know who am I really it's a it's a strange place to navigate it is strange and it's like again that ambiguity is, is kind of a blessing and a curse because in, in many ways it's probably made my life much easier and in others you just kind of um you get, you just, you get the constant, constant intrusive questions about like, what are you? Um, so it's just like kind of a double-edged sword um, in that, in that regard, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's funny cause, cause we're in this documentary together and I yeah. was, what are you? What are you? <laughs> Classic. Um, and the day that I, I was like the night before I was meant to film, I was um, like uh, hanging out with some friends. I was like, oh, I'm doing this documentary tomorrow. It's going to be really cool. It's about being mixed, blah, blah, blah. And they like, they both like you, like one was like, oh, like I would have just said you were white. And then the other one was like, made a face and was like, I don't think so. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is like the crux of why this documentary exists because it's like even my closest friends um you know it just it's just kind of weird but anyway um yeah the it just brings on a whole onslaught of other kind of intrusive questions if you kind of blend I guess yeah no absolutely and one of my my curious questions I was in the in the documentary as well but what was what was it like being a part of what are you for you in terms of like how that 
experience was? And it was really, yeah, it was really important for me. I think like I sort of didn't even know how much being mixed had impacted me until the election in 2016. Um, because I lived in the, in the States and I had just, I, I moved back from the States in 2015 and Donald Trump got elected in 2016. And so I had like super good friends who I found out voted for Donald Trump. And I finally like, um, had that experience of like, you know, that experience that lots of people of color have when you find out like, oh, I was never included, like you're just being nice to me. And those are two very different things. Um, my friends were just being nice to me, but when push comes to shove, I would vote to jeopardize my family. This was still when like Muslim ban, Muslim registry was going on. So for me, like I didn't even understand the impacts of being mixed until that happened. I was in a pit of like grief and shock and it had a lot to do with, with, with Islam and with being Muslim. And I was like, Oh shit, this means way more to me than I ever imagined. Um, I mean, it wrecked me pretty hard. And it was like, again, it was, it was the pieces around my Muslim identity that I had no idea that I cared so much about. Um, so for me, like, I wasn't even conscious or aware of this until maybe four years ago. So meeting you guys at Mixed in the Six was like when I started to heal, I like really had been praying for, you know, this wound, like to have some kind of bomb. And so I found you guys and that was like, oh my God, it was, I felt like it planted like, roots on the ground for me as there's something so beautiful about like looking into another mixed face because I think a lot of us we look into our parents faces and we don't really see ourselves so to like walk into a mixed event and see people with like you know jaw lines like yours and eyes like yours and hair like yours it's just like um I can't even describe it so I'm sorry I know that your question is about the documentary but that's my preamble um is that I started talking about this stuff much, much later in life. And so the documentary was um, reasonably early on in, in, in my journey and just felt so healing to tell my story and um, just, yeah, understand the impact that that had had on me. And then of course we went to the screening um, last year and it was just, I just couldn't even, um, it's just like overwhelms me. Like I could cry right now, like what it was like to see on screen everybody's stories and to be able to uh, have a voice to this like unnamed um, phenomenon in my life that I could just put words to it finally because it had been in the air um, for so long. And then to just like anchor it down with, with words and context and uh, narrative was like so 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 big for me and I feel so grateful to have been able to be been a part of it really yeah how about you I, I just love everything that you just said and it's so beautifully articulated and um, I, I'm grateful that you found us as well because I think one of the big things about like being mixed and then also 
like healing and then also related to, to mental health is, is having a sense of belonging and a sense of community, yeah. being able to share your story and for it to have value and for you to feel truly heard and truly seen. Like, I feel like I'm going to cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like what, what about you though? How did you yeah. find the experience? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I loved being a part of it. I'm so proud to have been, you know, like I, I, mean, I submitted a little video and, and Richard Pierre, the director, who's a name drop, of course, definitely check out his <laughs> film and his work. Um, you know, that he chose me to be a, a part of the, the cast and, you know, it was, it was very, it was also a really healing experience. I will say that uh, some of the healing for me and finding community and really understanding and appreciating and developing my identity, I think started when I was a part of the Mixed Students Association at York University, which nice. um, yeah. started by uh, friends, Phil and Tyler, big ups to them. And then I became the first mm -hmm. president, which was a really interesting experience. I honestly had no idea what I was doing, but I knew that getting mixed people together and having us yeah. like having our own association was important because there was something, uh, there was a group for everybody. Like there was two Chinese student associations and there's two black student associations. <laughs> and there was like, you know, the Jewish student association had this giant room with a bathroom. Like they had their, everyone had like offices, but depending on how big they were, that uh, also dictated how big their office was. <laughs> we didn't have an office, but we got one. So yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> so like that, kind of feeling more connected and um, kind of coming full circle started back, you know, in, in university, which was quite some time ago. And then mixed, uh, mixed in the six was also really healing for me. So by the time I got to the, the film, to be totally honest, I was so used to like putting on this happy face of like being mixed is awesome. And, uh, but I've had some like kind of crappy experiences, but like, let's get together and be, um, positive. So I actually felt like some of the stuff that I shared in the film were kind of like glossing over some of the challenges that I had. And oh, I, was, I was still actually a little nervous to share like from like that guttural painful place. I definitely shared some really key moments and you know we were in office screening so some of those things came through. Um, but that was an, that was an interesting experience because the first interview, I felt like I was still a little bit like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to be too negative. Like I almost felt like maybe like that, that, um, that, you know how you were saying like that I shouldn't be here. That actually stepped up in a, in a different way for me. Uh, when we filmed like the B roll, I think I actually ended up crying in one of the scenes. I don't know if it made, like it made it into the film because there was so much great so many great stories and there was a number of oh. us in the film but I there was a, there was like a moment where I, I actually became quite tearful and, and it kind of just talked a little bit more about how it affected me um but but you know seeing it all come together uh in the film uh, was like it was just it was beautiful you know it's yeah, like it you feel you just like you feel important and that like the stuff that <laughs> Like, I mean, I think everybody in their life is, will go through challenges and they're all unique. And like, I think being a mixed person kind of caught between two worlds is really, is really a unique experience. And it affects how we feel about ourselves, affects our mental health, affects how we relate to each other, um, you know, for better or for worse. And, uh, you know, I, I think 
being a part of something that's sharing your story in such a beautiful way. Um, it like, it almost like went, I was able to kind of go back to that little me that struggled to be like, you know what? You're going to be, you're okay. You're in a film, <laughs> you're in a documentary about your life or about your experience. And it's, it's beautiful <clears throat> to be ashamed about. It's nothing to hide. Like go for it, you know? Um, yeah. My, my long-winded answer, of course, yeah. but you know, even, even the, the sharing of the photo of, you know, how we all have our stills yeah in uh with the, the what are you film like I was like oh, I was a little nervous to share it and then I shared it and people were like this is so awesome you're in a film like we want to watch it yeah. and like, oh, people are interested in hearing my story this is really cool um you know because people weren't as interested in in getting yeah. to know my story <laughs> growing up and yeah, almost, yeah. I, I, I wasn't either I was just trying to like hide and blend in kind of that safety and smallness um yeah so and it's nice because it makes those conversations accessible, right? Because uh, on the one side of the spectrum, there's the folks that like just ask questions way too intrusively, way too early. And then there's the folks that like might want to have a conversation, but feel like they don't know how to say it or they don't know what questions to ask or that you'll feel offended or you'll feel, you know, um, like they don't know how to say it the right way so they don't say it at all. So I, I like that we could just offer up what we wanted to offer about our stories and have people just um, receive it without worrying mm -hmm. about, you know, asking directly. Like it was just kind of, it just makes it so accessible and safe, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm curious your thoughts on, again, like a sense of a community and like how we feel, feeling connected and, and feeling, you not feeling, but like how it affects our, your mental health, kind of feeling like you have like us now or like another other spaces where you feel like you belong oh man it's such a game changer I mean it's like pretty much like the number one you know it's such a protective factor if we're talking about mental health mm -hmm. I mean belonging in a community is evolutionarily the most critical thing that we ever cared about and so um that sense of belonging I think is critical to um feeling safe and healthy, um, you know, across the board. I mean, I just cannot stress enough how critical it is to feel safe in your community um, and part of a community. Um, it's, it's really like, again, the, probably the most protective factor um, in terms of like how to stay well. So for me, like I said, I mean, it, it changed everything for me in terms of letting me put roots on the ground and, um just in terms of my identity like it, it just gave me permission to do things for myself i think is probably what was so powerful about it is that yeah it gave me permission to see myself however i wanted to like I, i've said this a few times too it's that like i felt like my whole life i was taking a multiple choice test and i kept failing because mm. there was option a am i white option b am i like egyptian or arab sometimes option c's and d's muslim versus christian um american versus canadian like all of these blended things it's like none of the answers were right mm. they were never fully right so it was always wrong in my head 
Am I this note wrong? Am I this note wrong? Am I this note wrong? And finding mixed in the six and finding community for me gave me permission to create my own answer, which is like none of the above and all of the above. Um, Yeah, so it just mostly just gave me permission to like draw in my own little um, bonus answer and just be a whole right answer. So, and just to find it on my own terms. So I think, I think, um, yeah, being a part of a community for me just kind of gives me permission to exist as I feel um, the most myself. So, um, yeah, that's personally, but I mean, sort of socially and mental health wise, it's absolutely critical, critical to good mental health. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just meant the whole wide world to me to have people to connect with, um, on this exact issue. Mm. Hand on heart. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And I love what you said, like, you know, that life felt like a series of multiple choice tests and you kept on failing. Now you have that, like the permission to scribble in your own answer, you know? Yeah. It's so interesting because like in some ways those, you know, the the forms, just referencing, you know, forms that we fill out where they ask, it also reminded me of where it's like, oh, you have, uh, you know, Asian, Pacific Islander, (laughs) African-American, indigenous, and then other. Other, yeah. I I wonder like if I could go back and actually see like how many times I put in Asian Pacific Islander not actually knowing what that really meant. Yeah. Like, and then I would put like Canadian, then I would do two boxes and then I put other, which is again, something I think a lot of people from the mixed community relate to, but kind of jumping back. Thank you for, for that. And it's one of the great joys of doing this work is, is actually helping people like building community with people, but also seeing like how this collective coming together can be so healing and so uplifting and and then also for me, it's like seeing people actually make friends from yeah. being connected to a community. Like that's always like, I think that's the biggest gift for me. And, you know, here's me swinging it to the positive, but I think we're, we're coming on the, you know, coming on the coattails of talking about mental health and all the challenges. But it's like, when you have someone who gets you, a friend that you met and it's a powerful friendship, that can be just such a healing, it's so healing, right? And I've seen a lot of those things come through mixing the six and with MSA people who have made lifelong friends. And I think that's just any way that we can bring people together. is is so key. So key. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. will always love you guys for that. It's really wonderful. We love you, which is why you know, I chose you <laughs> to be on uh, this podcast here because I mean, thank you for sharing all of your stories so far. And, and some of the things that I, I want to connect with you around now is also like, you know, your profession as a social worker. I know you shared earlier that you kind of, what your experiences growing up and and not always sort of fitting in and not feeling like you belong kind of drew you into social work. Um, And so I'm kind of curious to know, like, you know, what other things do you love about working in mental health and what are some things that you you see in your work that um, you might want to share? What do I love about it? Oh my gosh. 
So much. Um, it's just really, I mean, we're talking about sharing stories and it's just like, I remember seeing this Brene Brown, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to mess up the quote cause it's just off the top of my head, but something about like, almost everyone in the world has like some story that would bring you to your knees. Yeah. Um, and for me, um, oh God, I might start to cry. It'd be embarrassing ish, but although crying is healthy, it's fine. Welcome here. Um, it's just, um, I think just the grace, like people and the resilience, like resilience is such a buzzword now. And so I'd rather use grace just because um, people, you know, they share their stories with you and it's like, you realize like what they're walking around with. It's like people are making their way through life with like an 80 pound concrete backpack on and they're still able to be kind and generous and considerate. And it's just, the, I think my favorite part is just the grace and the honor. Like it's a, the biggest honor of my lifetime to be able to hear people's stories. Um, and just, again, like the, 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 like the sassy ass lemonade that they're making out of the lemons that they've been given it's like, you know, full lemonade cocktail, they're making it work, even though they've been given like sacks and sacks of lemons. And it's just, um, it's, you know, it's just completely overwhelming to um, just have this window into humanity that is, um, it's just the, the, the best and the worst that humanity has to offer. And still people keep, keep moving forward and it's just, the courage it takes to just kind of exist in the world sometimes is, is what staggers me the most. So, um, I, stories are my currency. Mm. I relate to people primarily through stories. I love to share stories and I love to hear stories. And so it's just, I don't know. It just really is, um, just a, shot of goodness right into my veins even the hard days like I said I mean the grace would just knock you over sometimes I lose my breath actually because I'm like oh my god what a miraculous triumph yeah and they're so casual about it they don't fucking know that that's a miraculous triumph they're just so casual about it and I'm like okay okay all right let's just do it but so yeah, I just, I just love it. And, and people are so much less alone than they think. Mm. Yeah. I, I have the same conversations and I don't mean this in a bad way. I have the same conversations virtually every week for 10 years mm. with some, with some, you know, um, leeway there. But if people only knew how similar their struggles were and how um like everyone just thinks they're some kind of freak or weirdo it's just them everyone else has their shit together i can assure you there's it's that's false mm -hmm. and people are so much more um together in this than they think I mean, on an individual level, in terms of like what I see now, systemically, are people in this together? No, 
not a chance, not a lick of a chance are people in this together systemically. So that's, I want to make that very clear that that's not my perception that, yeah. that we're all in this together in a total way. Um, what I mean is that like a lot of the pain um, that shows up, at least in my office, is very similar. And I wish people would know that they're not so alone. That loads of people feel the same way that they do. Mm -hmm. um, and it's important, it's as important to be kind and understanding to them as it is to be to ourselves. Yeah. Well, thank you for holding space for the, for people in your, your practice the way that you do. Thank you. Just, I have to say that it's not on my question sheet, but <laughs> that anyone is lucky to have you as their, Thank you. their therapist, 100%. Yeah. That means a lot. Thank you. What about you? What about you? I, I'm like, I can't fight urges to ask questions yeah. back. Ask me questions. I'm here too. Um, yeah, like I, I feel I, I'm going to use the buzzword resilience, but I, in, in my mental health practice, um, I've been at the same organization working in sort of young adult mental health for many years. Just the, the, the resilience of, of these young people, right? They've been through um, some of the most traumatic and difficult things anyone will ever experience with regards to mental health and like people still press on, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's not always it's not always easy, of course. Um, I think the mental health system is really stretched. Like we I I, I wanted to talk about this because I feel like it also kind of relates to to um, like the sort of overall talking about mixed and uh, people of color and mental health, but like there's not always enough services for what is you know, what's needed. Um, and not always like the culturally sensitive services either um but anyway i'm going on a different tangent to come back like even with that the people who come through and sit across from me are are often up against a lot of different things like childhood trauma uh low socioeconomic status um even like you know other um coexisting disabilities and, and you know they're reaching their goals they're making progress and sometimes it's yeah. slow like it's slow it can be really like you don't just change your mindset like sometimes we see these <laughs> things online it's like just think differently and change your core belief it's like yeah. that work that a load of shit. yeah <laughs> sorry i've gone and i've i've gone through my own mental health issues and like have been in therapy myself and it's like it's it's excavating all that like app that you're carrying around like that big 80 pound bag um so it, we all have to do that work and i think actually doing that work as a therapist makes me a better therapist but i kind of come come back to like sort of my work is just when you see people take those next steps and like really maybe even some of the mindset stuff and like that other deeper healing just kind of comes with time but when you see people going back to doing things that they love like I'm an occupational therapist, so we're all about meaningful activities, right? Meaningful occupation. Uh, if you don't know what OT is, definitely look it up, but <laughs> I'll, I'm sure I'll do an elevator pitch at some point in this podcast, but it's like we're focused on helping people engage in meaningful things in their life. So when I've worked with young people who had like no friends away from school and work because of their illness, 
and then they go back and then they do these amazing things. They find community, they get into relationships, they go to work, they get a job. They, they do things that are exciting for them and that build their quality of life. That is, there's no greater joy than that for me. That's, that's why I still do it is because uh, for all of the hard stuff, like just dealing with the systems problems, like, uh, again, a, a really big topic there is just what's lacking in our mental health system. But when it works, uh, it, it makes up for all of the other BS that we have to deal with, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I agree. Absolutely. I'm curious because we're both in this together now with, because uh, we're both still working during COVID. How have you noticed, mm-hmm. you know, either in your practice or just even in your own life, like how COVID has COVID-19 affected like mental health in, in our lives? Yeah. I mean, I'd say probably primarily like, like you're, you're getting people who, like I've said this before, it's like, it's like such a weird trauma because it is traumatic and it's also so boring. Yeah. It's like Netflix and pajamas. Um, I mean, for most people that like, obviously for anyone who's had a family member or friend like fall ill or pass away, like it, obviously that's a whole different story. Um, but overall, it's like such an interesting trauma because it's so mundane and so fucking boring that people aren't even aware of like how much it's impacting them. So yes, like across the board, we see this stuff around like fatigue and lack of motivation and, um, you know, all of the things that come from kind of on a stress overload chronically. Um, and so that's coming up a lot. Um, a lot of people who feel anxious around uncertainty. Yeah. Um, it's really kind of triggering and hard. Um, and like folks who um, are used to distracting themselves through their pain, it's really tough. It's tough. Um, there's only so much you can distract with really at this point. Um, in terms of being busy, I guess, yeah. um, staying busy. So th- 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 that's been really challenging and also, um, boy, are people really finding out who they are um, in some ways. Like, like I have um, I'm someone, I'm working with someone who like, you know, um, is starting to question like, what do I do because I care what other people are think versus what do I do because I like it? Like just getting to know yourself like on that level where you're like, you take all the, what do other people think out of it? And you're like, who am I now? What do I like? You'd be surprised. Like it's hard to connect to that. And we've been fed for so long, like things that are like acceptable and what you should like and you shouldn't like that people really, I think, you know, it's hard for them to know themselves. So I think that's another like really interesting piece. And I'm not saying that isn't difficult to suddenly feel like a part of you is gone because that part of you was what um, was sort of constructed on the outside. So that's really tough too. Um, 
and also very worthwhile but you know it's hard to say that to people and i, I don't you know i don't ever want to rush a silver lining but anyway it's just fascinating because it would be kind of difficult and also would be really interesting yeah you're you're making reference to two really key things it's like i actually posted the first part of that that fatigue and the the grief and the stress about dealing with this kind of collective stress and trauma of, of being in a pandemic um, is, you know, I posted a, an article about it actually, it was about the allostatic load and right. it got so many hits on Facebook. Everyone was like, thank you. Thank you for getting it because I'll, there's this uh, sort of different things on social media right now where it's like, oh, I, you know, get time off and get to do all these courses and do this and that, which I'm, I'm doing, but <laughs> Like, I, I feel like I'm at a place where I can I manage it, but don't get me wrong, I've had my, I, I was really stressed out at the beginning. Um, yeah. That, that being said, it's like, also, it's with our routines being changed, it's hard to feel like, yeah, we have a little bit more time because we're not working as much or working in different ways, but we're stressed. Like, we're stressed about Ooh, yeah. getting COVID or if you have um, parents who are, are old or ill or if you have younger children, like, you're thinking more about all of these things that you didn't uh, have yes. to think about. And I actually remember reading a really beautiful post that you wrote. You write beautifully. Everyone who's listening, oh, definitely follow Sarah because you have such great word images around mental health. Thank you. Um, and, and one of those posts that you made was, I think, making reference to that is that our brains are more overloaded and having to worry about our safety than when we were not in a pandemic. So it's like not that we have any more spoons, if we're talking about, you know, make reference to spoon theory, like to do all this extra stuff. We're actually quite overloaded. Um, and then the other piece that you were speaking to is kind of I'm thinking just like when we have to take time away from our regular activities, it can be really disrupting because routine, we're kind of creatures of routine. It, it helps us build structure and kind of predictability. But then when we're isolated from other people, we're just with ourselves. So we got to, we're like alone in our thoughts and, and then having this time to reflect, well, yeah, who, who am I? <laughs> and, and sort of that, um, you know, forgive me for bringing up the self-love thing again, but that's something I've had to work on in my own life is like being okay by myself, being okay without the approval and always having uh, the connection and safety of other people around me. Um, again, uh, not to discount safety, but I mean like, you know, that social safety, feeling like I need to be connected to someone or doing something with others to be okay. Um, and I think a lot of people are dealing with that right now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it's, yeah, it's just really, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting for better or worse. I mean, I think people are learning things, whether it's really, really tough. Um, yeah, it's an interesting learning experience and it's, it's very stressful. And again, like it definitely is traumatic. And I think, you know, um, again, we won't really even know the impacts until this is long over because people don't typically you know, really process while things are happening. You kind of have to feel safe in order to process stuff. So, you know, it's who knows like what this will look like. And I don't mean that in an ominous way I, or like a pessimistic way. I'm just saying, you know, something I do hear from people a lot too is like, I'm not really processing this. And it's kind of like, that's okay. Like in, in some ways, like it's not wrong to be processing. And if you have, if you're having lots of feelings, like 
that's okay too. There's no right or wrong way to do it. But if, but I have heard people say like, oh, I think I'm just in denial. I'm not processing any of it. And it's like, yeah, there's a reason for that because we typically don't process until we have the time and space to do them, the safety to do that. And this hasn't really, this hasn't been resolved enough for like a, a real processing, you know? Yeah. This is so yeah. interesting because I was, I wanted to make a, uh... I refer to a word image that you made that I really liked. And it's so funny, oh, okay. kind of related to what you just said. So this is from your, your um, Instagram account at Sarah Kassam MSW. Before you judge if you're handling this well, remember that you can't measure short-term coping skills against a long-term crisis. You won't see the success of your coping until this is over. Resilience is a long game. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's, yeah. I mean, lots of people. It's it, it's interesting, right? Like we we kind of do these things to cope in the short term, and then people are like, I don't feel any better. It's not working. But we're so not used to like most of us get some kind of respite from whatever it is that we're going through. Even you know, if your home isn't safe, maybe you 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 got school or um, work. Um, in, in some capacity, you kind of know where you're safe and, and maybe that could be really helpful, but we just have no resolution here and people are starting to really get down on themselves that they're not handling it well. Um, but you, like, even if you have like the nicest, most lavender filled bath, <laughs> you're still living through a pandemic. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, you're not gonna, you're probably not gonna feel you're not going to see these results for a while. And like, um, you know, I think people don't always remember that stress is critical to resilience. Yeah. Like they go hand in hand, actually. You, you don't get resilient without some level of stress, but not all stress is created equal. Um, predictable sort of, you know, um, kind of organized stress is ideal unpredictable scary um like inconsistent stress uh, like uncertain it's it's a bit harder um and that's why sorry now i'm going off on another tangent but but these things people are doing to give some level of predictability and safety in their lives like that is what essentially is bringing them through the long game um they're building the predictable into the unpredictable yeah so so um yeah so those things they are working air quotes for anyone who's listening they're working they're just you know they're there it's it's a bit of a delayed response but to bring the predictable into the unpredictable is is exactly how you cope with this and it's exactly a recipe for resilience it's just it's just they people uh want it to be shorter, which yeah. you can't really be. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It's like that like kind of compounding effect of taking care of yourself, right? I, I've used yeah. this reference before uh, where it's like every time you do like a self, something self-care like, or, you know, you, you put in effort to, to bring some um, like compassion to yourself or, you know, you go in and do something that's positive and healthy. It's like pennies in the bank, right? You don't actually yeah. see it become anything until you've you've done it consistently and then all of a sudden you have you know you have lots and it, it that's that consistent effort that um, you know it, it does it does take energy and, and and support as well 
which I, th I think it would be cool to to have a conversation now or kind of list some stuff that you feel and you know I also will chime in as well are things that really help people cope and can help with their mental health what are those like tips and resources that um, like you really uh, go to in your practice or in your life I think the most effective thing is for people to have some sense of what they like, mm. like not all coping skills are created equal um, per individual. So I think the best thing that people can do is learn a little bit more about themselves. Like, you know, often we'll have plans to like soothe with the five senses. And um, this is so different for so many people. What they like to hear or see or taste or smell or touch like it's so individual and sometimes I've, I've done you know webinars and some people think of the coolest shit i would never have thought of they like the smell of fireplace like yeah. awesome great i would have never thought of that um or just for some people like looking at their book collection like you know it's like amazing so I think the best way to kind of cope through this is to like really ask yourself, like, what do I love? What brings me comfort? What relaxes me? It's not be the same as the other, as another person. So even for example, um, folks that would identify as being like way more introverted, you know, we got this like real blanket recommendation to like reach out to people. Yeah. Um, all the time stay connected and that was done primarily by therapists and psychiatrists because they know how critical connection is to well-being i mean it's 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 there's like nothing more important however <laughs> everyone has different needs for connection yeah um and i know i do know a lot of people and myself included went on this rampage a zoom rampage in the beginning and then we're like holy shit i'm exhausted and this feels worse. Yeah. So it's just about like, I know that that's a hard answer because getting to know ourselves is our life's work. And also taking a minute to figure out like, what do I love? Like what makes me happy? What, what calms me down and keeps, you know, keep that in, 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 in your back pocket um, and do it deliberately. So again, even socializing, we could say that we're, you know, we're social animals, we're wired to connect. And also what is your preference for the amount of connection that you would like? Um, you know, what's your preference for, for ways to like move your body? What's your, what's your preference for, um, you know, what feels supportive to you? Because what, what, you know, and this is where, you know, in terms of partners and families and stuff, sometimes we make assumptions that people want to receive love the way that we like to give it. Um, now I'm going on a whole separate tangent here. I guess the, the best thing I could say about coping skills is just to learn a little bit about what means shit to you. And then do that, like actively do that and know when you're kind of feeling a bit off and also do it proactively is what I would say. You'd be, you'd be floored. Like, well, you wouldn't be, but maybe, maybe other people would be floored. Um, 
how much of our environment can really impact how we do and how much of that we can set ourselves up for success for. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll say like, even if you find coping skills that you love, this is where you make sure you do them proactively through the day, little bursts. Um, Because what we don't want is like you said, like getting our energetic bank accounts down to zero and then someone makes a withdrawal of like two pennies and we're like completely off the rails. Yeah which we've all done, right? But like, um, that's why you build it in, you be proactive, like you make it very deliberate. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff people are already doing, but knowing you can seek that out um, is really important. That was a really long answer. Does that answer, does that answer? It was beautiful, it was beautiful, it was great. It also reminds me of like that, the window of tolerance, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can Google window of tolerance for anyone listening and uh, it's like, when we're in our window of tolerance, when our, our energetic bank accounts are full, we are like able to uh, pay attention, we're, we're, we're present, we're relaxed, calm, we can function. And then when we're like outside above our window of tolerance and we're in that fight or flight, that's when we need to use those like grounding skills, like, like the, using the five sensors, doing something that's like soothing, comforting, grounding, um, you know, like for me, um, like I, I do have an aromatherapy thing that I use, but honestly, sometimes I just curl up in a blanket when I'm yeah. sad or really like uh, agitated. I'm like, I need to cancel everything that I have on my schedule and I need to recharge. Uh, and you know that I think we had to actually reschedule this because I was actually really exhausted the first time we planned to, to, to record. And, and like, I'm not ashamed to say that because like I needed to take care of my, myself. Um, and then like on the other side is like when we're in like under below our window tolerance when we're in that freeze mode it's like when we're numb or dissociated um you know kind of really checked out like you know kind of not in the room not present that's when we're maybe feeling really depressed down low energy and these things what you're speaking of like being intentional with your self-care being intentional with like your support and your energy that's what helps us stay within that like kind of smooth sailing and when we do get outside or you know a below or above or below our window of tolerance you know finding those skills and those things that work for us to help us come back to center is so key and you know i think you can find those things in therapy but you can also find those things in just you know doing your own self inquiry um and and you know putting your mental health as a priority although i will say i'm going to just do like a little kind of plug of things that have worked for me sure. and my own mental health because I think I'd like to share that and feel free to sure. share as well is that um you know I've I have exp- like I've experienced trauma in my life and I I have been to therapists I have access therapists that like anytime there was an opportunity for free therapy like when I was in uh university in my undergrad and my master's I went to the counseling development center <laughs> or whatever it was called put myself on a wait list and you know got chatting uh, it was really helpful, and I later on when I actually experienced the major trauma that um, I'm sort of referring to is I I actually accessed EAP that was through my work, um, as well as there was a social worker at my family doctor that nice. I got to see. They were great. I, I needed something specific, so I found a trauma therapist who did, did EM does EMDR and neurofeedback. So you know, for people who are listening, um, definitely really you know solid uh, and very specific tailored tailored trauma treatments and other stuff that I've, I found that like are still within the realm of mental health and therapy, but are, are also kind of bordering on like more of a spiritual and holistic things is mindfulness, like being able to actually 
feel my body and tap into my breath using that as an anchor. Um, mindful self-compassion. I did a really great course at the Center for Mindfulness Studies. I gifted it to myself, but also was lucky enough to have some of it covered by my insurance plan. Um, nice. So I, I did that. I found it extremely helpful to be more kind and gentle to myself. Um, but also just, and I, I probably will include some a list of, of free services in the show notes, but there's also like a whole range of different places that people can call for support. Like for students, there's good for t- good to talk. It's like a, on like you can call, and um, there's also a kids help phone. Um, tell me know if I'm missing one, but there's like uh, some stuff at CMHA. They have some free supports. Uh, Progress Place has a warm line with peer support workers. Um, I used to um, I used to volunteer. Sorry to cut you off. I used to oh. volunteer at Wood Green. They have walk-in counseling. Oh. Um, so for free, you can just go and it's, and take whatever like issue you have. Of course it's short term. It's not like long-term resolution, but man, if you just want to go for a walk-in counseling session for free, you can do it, which is cool. Yeah. It's they're they're out there. And, and also of course, like, you know, bigger places like CAMH and CMHA, sometimes they do have some wait lists for more specialized services, but there are like yeah. other services out there that are like tailored to specific um, cultures or uh, special population groups or diagnoses. So there's, there's, there is stuff out there. Again, I think, um, again, we could have a whole other like part two about like the, the qualms of the mental health system, but there is actually support. And I wanted to make sure that I brought that into the conversation today for people who are listening, because, you know, finding, um, finding support, like how you can support yourself as an individual and finding things that you that really work for you is is important and then also like finding the like the actual services out there that you connect with like you know take it off or like take some time to really see what's out there um which i i also wanted to say another kind of maybe one last thing before we wrap up is that i actually saw on instagram that there are um there there are some therapists who have accounts that are like specialist in working with people who are mixed like they're mixed race therapists who like oh, is working with um mixed people and i just thought i throw that out there i don't have any names or handles like right now but if there is uh i follow some of those accounts and i think that that's also a cool thing because i i mean i i'm a therapist and i'm i'm mixed and i think there are some great organizations that have diverse uh staff there but there is that that sense that also in the healthcare system as a whole, oftentimes like psychotherapists or like doctors and psychiatrists are sort of from the dominant like white culture. And I think it would be so good too that to have more representation in our, you know, in that complement, but also for individuals who are mixed and are looking for um, like a therapist or a support person, like it's always nice to have people who get it. And so I'm just throwing that out there because I know I wanted to bring that up. You have any thoughts on that, Sarah? Well, I think, I think lived experience is important. Um, I think lived experience is really important. And, you know, for me, um, it just, I'm someone who just believes that I have to walk the talk. So for me, it's important to me, of course, like culturally, ethnically, I can't relate to every client. It's just an impossibility. Um, but there's something really special about like having walked through the fires that the people that you're working with have walked through. So, um, 
so that's a that's a huge value of my practice is just like walking the talk like anything i ask of people i work with i've done myself uh or i won't ask it um and so i guess i guess it's sort of tied into the fact that i just i just think lived experience is really cool to this work it's a really strong value of mine and i think um certainly the people i work with who are mixed um like it's just such a quick conversation in, in terms of like how much you feel like that person gets it they're like you know like i might ask questions or i might explore they're just like yes mm -hmm. yes yes like they just it's just such a short like yes oh my god yes that's exactly it um so anyway it's just it just lived experience across the board i think is critical to this work this is one place you can't you may you can't touch it all but but um i think it is important to you have the option of working with someone who might understand it and like i said like even facial recognition like you know faces are so important and so like like i said for me looking into a face that was mixed um like mine when i went to the events um was so healing for me so anyway those are my thoughts on on that yeah no thank you i'm we're coming to the, the end of our our time but i have some quest couple like final questions for you sarah um <laughs> what do you feel like is sort of the greatest gift of being mixed oh i think the greatest gift of being mixed is um i think that sort of um desire to desire to create a space of belonging around myself um, it's a huge source of pride for me um, i love it when people feel comfortable around me and um, it's just enriched my life so much to be able to do that from a very genuine place so i think that is probably the greatest gift along with like you know like a really good sense of humor like i said you got these quirky parents that you're like oh my god what do i do with this um so yeah like i guess that sort of that desire to 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 help others feel as though they belong and also just like quirks and eccentricities and humor that you just like you just gotta embrace beautiful and mm -hmm. my other question is what would you say to your younger self now? I would say to my younger self, this is, you know, this is a great question because I think in general, um, not to drag it out, but just, you know, there's a lot of us who don't have parents who even know how to talk to us as little kids about this stuff. We kind of just like blow in the wind. Um, but anyway, I would tell my younger self, um, Oh God, I hope I don't get teary. Um, I would tell her that, um, that she will be her own hero and that someone is coming to save her uh, and it's her. Um, and it's gonna be better than she imagined. So, yeah. I legit am crying. <laughs> Yeah, I feel really emotional about that. Just um, yeah, 
Like I, I, um, I have been the hero to myself that was even better than I hoped for as a kid. You are a hero. You're an amazing human. No, I really like the work that you do as a social worker and, and supporting people in their journey of healing and mental health is, is truly heroic. I know um, it's not always part of our DNA to <laughs> acknowledge that, but I am acknowledging that in you. And I'm, I'm so thankful to have you on the podcast today. You're uh, all of the things that you've said, I'm, they've really touched me. And I, I know that the people who are listening have gotten a lot out of it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. And thank you for creating a community for me to start to heal. Thank you. We co-created it together. <laughs> You're the best. I love you and uh, look forward to hopefully having you on again sometime. There'll be Ooh. other mental health months. We can keep the conversation going. Um, and yeah. for, for people, I, I did plug your, um, your Instagram handle, but how could people get in touch with you or, or if they're interested in working with you or following your work, what would, uh, what's the, the path? Yeah, probably Facebook or Instagram would be the best way to do it at the moment. Um, so Sarah Kasem, MSW, uh, S-A-R-A-K-A-S-S-E-M-M-S-W. That's my Instagram ha handle. And then um, same, my full name um, on Facebook, MSW, RSW. So yeah. yeah. Thank you. Follow Sarah. She's a full of inspiration. And for everyone listening, thank you for joining us. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Our world is thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mix in the Six podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you do, do not forget to subscribe, comment, and share the love to keep bringing more stories, insights, and cool perspectives from the mixed community. And if you or someone you know is a fellow Mixie and want to share your unique story and are up to awesome stuff, we want to hear from you for a potential feature. Look below in the show notes for more info. Much love to you and see you soon.